and I try to persuade them not to become employees of the hospital because once you become employee of a hospital, you absolutely lose self-autonomy. All that just to get a pension. But I think dentists are smarter than we are in terms of finance. The IPP helps you potentially build, build far more assets than through the RSP. So you have much more room inside of your uh, IPP than you would inside your RSP. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Good morning, everybody. We are back today talking about finances in medicine or finances in healthcare. So this podcast is really meant for healthcare professionals. And, you know, typically I say physicians because I'm a physician, but it's really not just for physicians, it's for all healthcare professionals, because I believe we all suffer from the same problem, uh, which is financial illiteracy. And so this podcast really applies to doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, dentists, by the way, but I think dentists are smarter than we are in terms of finance. And also physician assistant, don't forget that. I'm going to include the lawyers in here, but I believe that most lawyers believe that they're smarter than doctors. So uh, I'll just squeeze that in there. So welcome to the How's My don't, Financial don't lawyers, Health Podcast. Uh, don't lawyers uh, think they're smarter than everyone? Uh, so that's Terry, my friend. Uh, Terry, join us. What did you just say there? Oh, I just, I, I was picking up on your lawyer comment uh, and you said the lawyers think they're smarter than doctors, but then again, lawyers think they're smarter than everyone. I think that's true, but they will debate you on that though. All right. Yeah, of course they would. <laughs> Okay, so today we're here because we want to talk about pensions for doctors. Correct, Terry? Yeah, well, you know, we're going to be talking about what's known as the uh, individual pension plan. Yes. So before we jump into the topic, there's a particular reason why I wanted to bring this topic to the forefront of our discussion is because, you know, I speak to a lot of my colleagues who say, you know, in comparison to the nurses, we don't have a pension, right? In Canada, physicians don't have a pension because physicians, dentists, all those of us who are self-employed, who are not employed by the hospital, we don't get a pension. And a lot of my colleagues are very upset at that. They all want a pension. In, in fact, there's a movement for physicians to be employees of the hospital. And when I hear that, I just cringe. And I try to persuade them not to become employees of the hospital, because once you become employee of a hospital, you absolutely lose self-autonomy. All that just to get a pension. And when I say just to get a pension is because I don't believe that the pension that they are offering is as good as what we're going to propose today. Terry, do you, what do you think about I, that? I would have to completely agree. Physicians currently being self-employed don't have a pension, but it doesn't mean we cannot get one. And this is where 
people don't know what they don't know. And because they don't know, they only know pensions and they go after what hospital pension can offer them. And I know that some of us physicians are uh, pensioners from the hospital and belong to HOOP. Like we've heard from Lorenzo, a physician assistant who is a HOOP pensioner. But I believe that a lot of the pathologists working in a hospital and a lot of the anesthetists working in a hospital also belong to HOOP. But I believe that those are not as good as what we're going to be talking about today. And so let's jump right into it. We're going to talk, sure. we're going to be talking about IPP, Individual Pension Plan. Terry, give us a little synopsis what, what that is, just in a little nutshell before we begin. Okay, well, the... Uh, individual pension plan or IPP, as we'll be likely referring to it today, is a um, it's a registered defined benefit pension plan, typically set up. That is important, Terry. The fact that it's a defined benefit. Good point. That's right. Because yes. most pension right now are defined contribution. Yeah. In fact, you're gonna if you're gonna be hard to find a employer provided pension plan that is defined benefit. Those went the way of the Dodo uh, back in 2008 and 2009, when uh, a lot of the defined uh, benefit plans got crushed in the uh, market correction. Then uh, many uh, employers then went to defined contribution. So the beauty, one of the things, one of the nice features of the individual pension plan or IPP is the, the fact it's defined benefit. And it's set up for just uh, one member, you. Um, so it can uh, allow you to build up retirement income uh, under a tax sheltering umbrella so that you can get the maximum pension that a Canadian tax law allows. Um, it's ideal for uh, business owners uh, or an executive uh, but certainly uh, persons like physicians and dentists and so on that can uh, incorporate. Uh, this is a perfect option to have inside their corporation. You know, those are the, the top line kind of things. The IPP is uh, it's a defined benefit pension plan, and it helps you build your retirement income under a tax sheltering umbrella. So that you get the maximum pension plan that Canadian tax law allows. Uh, I was also saying it's ideal for small business owners, but also for professionals that can incorporate specifically because the individual pension plan can be inserted inside the corporation, potentially uh, provide you that retirement income down the road. There is by law and regulation and by the tax act, for small business owners and professional corporation to implement and institute their own pension plan. And that's why we call it a individual pension plan because it's for one person, which typically is the owner of the small business or the right. owner of the professional corporation, i.e. the physician, the dentist, the lawyer, right? Yeah. And so all those people who are small business owners, for example, we were talking to Lorenzo and Lorenzo is a physician assistant who also teaches for the university. And financially speaking, part of his work could be contracted out to his corporation if he had set one up. And so even a physician assistant can 
uh, incorporate a small business account and from there create a personal pension plan. Is that correct, Terry? Uh, yeah, that would be that would be ideal. Yeah, and so the same analogy applies to a nurse practitioner who have their own professional or small business corporation. Yeah. Let's uh, dive into it then. First of all, the first question is, you know, IPP, how is that different from an RRSP? Now, the RRSP is the personal, so it's uh, Vuketran himself, that's Vuketran can set up a uh, RRSP account, so registered retirement savings plan, but the corporation doesn't set up an RSP, they set up an IPP. So the yeah. question is, other than the fact that it's inside a corporation, how else is the IPP different? Well, one of, one of the things, when I try to make this simple for uh, my clients, the vernacular I use for the IPP is it's an RSP for your corporation. So whereas the RPP, as you mentioned, is usually for savings uh, personally, and it's held, it's held personally, the IPP is held by your corporation. Right. But further than that, the IPP helps you potentially build, build far more assets than through the RSP. So you have much more room inside of your uh, IPP than you would inside your RSP. Yeah. One of the so, other nice things, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So we'll, we'll jump into that uh, later when we talk about, you know, how to calculate the IPP and, and what, what not, but you are correct because uh, I'll let you, I'll let you finish your thought, but the RRSP is a eight maximum of 18% of your last year's salary and it's capped at a certain level. And so in 2020, it's capped at 27,000 and change. Whereas IPP is calculated differently, correct? That is correct. What the law provides for a defined benefit is that plan or an IPP is that you are um, allowed to uh, equal to 2% of the average of your highest three years of salary. You can, you can eventually load up your IPP to that extent. That's kind of your target uh, how would I say that? That's your target income in retirement. So let me just kind of explain what you just said there, because sure. for most of us, we don't we don't understand what that meant. So because this is a defined contribution, uh, no, sorry, defined, defined, defined benefit, benefit, defined yeah. benefit. So it's a so IPP is a defined benefit pension, which means that at the end, when I retire, I'm supposed to get a X amount. And that X amount you mentioned is based on 2%. So 2% of your of, highest three years of my highest three years. So if I'm a family doctor and I make, let's say 200,000 a year, then 2% would be uh, 4,000. So for that monthly income, my pension would be $4,000 a month. That's right. And so what, what the IPP is trying to target is is trying to target investment savings and rate of return rate to try to target the four thousand dollars a month in defined benefit payment at exactly. time of retirement. And let me back you up one thing: you you mentioned a defined target uh, percentage growth. Normally, that's somewhere around seven and a half percent. That's usually the target. So. There are 
benefits over and above that, where if you don't meet that target annually, you're allowed to load up. You're allowed to put more. That's right. Okay. So to meet that, to meet that seven and a half percent. Right. So now that was the example for uh, only 200,000. But if I was a specialist and I'm all of a sudden making, you know, a million dollars to a million two every year, then that's the, that's the amount that we take, right? So we take the three years highest amount. So a million, a million two times uh, 2%, which means 20,000 a month. So for the specialist uh, or for the lawyer or for the dentist, who makes, who grosses a million dollars a year, then their defined benefit is much, much higher at the end of the, of the day. And so per month, they get a much higher uh, amount. Correct. Am that, I understanding that, this right? That's, that's pretty well how it works. That's right. Okay. So now that's the what... other, the other, the other benefit I would wanted to mention, um, or the contrast to the RSP is that with the RSP, you make your 18% maximum contribution and, and that's it. You, you normally inside the RSP, and we've talked about this in past uh, podcasts, I believe you and I have, or you may have done other uh, podcasts on this, but uh, you, uh, you invest inside the RSP and uh, whatever you make on an annual basis or not, that's, that's as far as it goes. The benefit to the IPP is that all the associated um, costs to setting up the IPP, to managing the IPP, to paying your actuarials, the costs to managing the investments, including the cost of the investments, these are all tax deductible to the corporation. So you can see already the tax benefits that are loading up uh, on top of managing an uh, individual pension plan versus an RSP. Right. So let me just uh, clarify what you just said there. So sure. in a individual RRSP, the MERs that are hidden inside those mutual funds or um, the portfolio management fund that I'm paying an advisor. Yep. From an RRSP, I cannot deduct the fees from my income, uh, no. from a tax law perspective. From an, in an RSP. In an RSP. But... If it's in a corporation and it's in a inside a pension plan, which we, which the IPP is, all those fees, the MERs, the management fees, uh, the fees of setting up, the accounting fee, the lawyer fee, all those, and the actuarial fees, all those are within the pension fund, and because of the pension laws, all those fees are now deductible off the corporation's income which give us a huge tax advantage. Exactly, correct. And I believe that is one difference that is from the regular pension that other people get from HOOP or the teacher's pension fund, right? They don't get to write off those taxes and those no, charges. No. In fact, you're, uh, you, what you'll do is you're gonna end up paying for those uh, funds and those money managers. We talked about a little bit uh, the tax benefits. So let's dive more into other benefits of the IPP. Uh, other than the tax write-off for the fees, what are other benefits of IPP within the corporation? 
Well, I think one of the things that small business owners and or professionals might be appreciative of the of the IPP is the fact that it is it is a pension plan and therefore uh, it is protected from creditors and liability. And I know a lot of people think the RSP also uh, has those features, but in fact, it doesn't. And in fact, if someone does want to sue you or your creditors come after you, they can get to your RSPs. That's not true for the IPP. The IPP is protected by the tax laws of Canada from creditor and liability. So okay. this is a, a lot of business owners and I think professionals would be uh, appreciative of that further benefit. Absolutely. Especially small business owners where there are numerous risks. For liability, professionals will probably appreciate that uh, further layer of protection. Yes. So what other benefits are there? Uh, one of the things that... Um, we talked about the uh, target minimum seven and a half percent growth. So that is a that's a target that the uh, pension plan chooses. Uh, if you are not able to meet that in any uh, specific year, you are allowed to fund up so that the the fund uh, the plan does meet that seven and a half percent. You can also keep. Uh, the plan operating after age 71. So if you plan to keep working, you can actually keep contributing to the plan. You can't do that to an RSP. I think that is absolutely uh, exciting because you and I talked about the RIF. Uh, That's right. Right. We talked about the, the RSP RIF, and RIF. The yeah. RSP and RIF. And we talked about their torpedo. And so inside an, R an IPP, there is no torpedo. Uh, correct. Right. Correct. There's also the benefit of because IPP is a pension and the Canadian government treats it as a pension and the U.S. government treats it as a pension. And in fact, all government treats it as a pension. So the investment that you can make inside the IPP outweighs all the investment that you can put inside an RRSP because only certain investment, for example, mutual funds, ETFs, stocks, bonds, uh, and some exempt market products are RRSP eligible, but not everything is RRSP eligible. Whereas in a IPP, because it's a pension, you can literally almost invest in anything you want. That, that is correct. I believe one more, one more benefit is that in the IPP, when it's time to withdraw, you can split that with your spouse. You can split them, which is correct. Furthermore, what I think is another uh, great asset is that there's potential for succession planning within the corporation so that if you have other family members, there is no deemed disposition of the plan assets upon death, meaning that uh, you do not have to collapse the, um, the plan like you have to do with an RSP or, an, or, or a RIF. There is, there is an option for income splitting, but as well, 
there is uh, also an option for succession planning. So which goes beyond the income splitting because the income splitting is normally done with the spouse where the succession planning is done within the corporation. Uh, so specifically for a small business, that pension plan does not collapse upon death. The plan is a, an asset of the corporation, meaning it continues to survive. And therefore, you, the plan assets can remain in the plan uh, to provide benefits to surviving, surviving members. So I think what those three points, it's actually three points that you made are very important. Yeah. One, I just want to recap that. One, the fact that we can do income splitting with that uh, defined benefit is important because if I'm taking, let's say every year, I'm a, let's say I'm an ophthalmologist and, you know, my IPP is worth a lot. And now I take 2% of whatever that amount is, it could equal you know, a hundred and hundred and sixty thousand, even two hundred thousand, based on that two percent, right? Right. So if I take two hundred thousand out every year, well, that is now income, uh, and I'll be taxed at the max at that point. But if I'm allowed to split it with my spouse who's not working, then that two hundred thousand all of a sudden becomes a hundred thousand and a hundred thousand, and so instead of being taxed at the highest marginal tax rate at 200, I'm being taxed at the lower marginal tax rate at 100 each. And so that income splitting at the end when we do take it out has significant tax impact. The second thing that you mentioned is the um, estate planning. And again, the fact that it doesn't have to collapse uh, and can be used in a estate planning and, and tax efficiency perspective to leave on to the next generation is extremely important. Uh, the third point is that upon death, uh, unlike the RSP where it has to be rolled over to the spouse where they could be rolled over tax-free uh, and cannot be rolled over to anybody else tax-free, the IPP does not need to be collapsed and the IPP through different tax law allowable maneuvers could be rolled over to the corporation and passed on uh, in a succession planning strategy. Just to pull that all together, for a small business corporation, the corporation does not need to be um, disclosed or disposed of upon the death of the uh, major shareholders or whatever shareholders are in the company, unlike the professional corporation which normally does is disposed of closed down. However, you do have the ability to maintain that pension plan and uh, have it transferred from the professional corporation to another type of corporation. That's a maneuver you'd want to make sure that uh, you're talking with a tax consultant. I won't get into that here because it's a, it's somewhat complicated, but it can right. be done. I just wanted to reiterate. Thank you for doing that. And I think that's important. The fact that it exists is important to know. And again, I come back to the notion that we don't know what we don't know. So now at least we know, and maybe we'll do a separate podcast on that in the future. So let's come to um, the question. We talked a little bit about this. So how is the eligible amount 
that I can contribute to my IPP on an annual basis? How is that calculated? The contribution limits for your IPP uh, are, are based on a calculation. What I do know is that it's far more than the uh, amount for your um, RSP up to 65% more. And it's all, it's a calculation that's based on your age and your earnings on an annual basis. Okay. So would it be fair to say that it is based on an actuarial calculation using a formula that is obviously approved by the CRA? And so, Absolutely. so yeah. we're using a formula based on your age, based on your previous income, based on when you will retire. And from that formula, it calculates a number. Obviously, that number in almost all cases are higher than the cap at 27,000 and change in the RRSP. And so that's why it is on average 65% more than the maximum of an RSP. Would it be fair to say that? Yeah, let, let's call it, uh, let's just call it on average. But again, this is the reason why you work with uh, actuarial accountants to manage the RSP. This is why you're going to, you know, you're going to be working with financial advisors to manage this, but probably no more complicated than um, certainly there are, you know, accountants and financial advisors that uh, work specifically with these types of uh, uh, product, I guess what we call them. But again, it's, it's, it, to those specialists, it's not that much more complicated than what you're, accountant does for your annual tax returns. No, I agree. And so because it is based on a formula that the CRA agreed to, uh, everybody who needs to do this will use that formula. And to be honest, uh, if I'm the client, I'm not the one putting plugging the numbers into that formula, right? My accountant, my lawyer, and my actuarial firm will be doing all that for me. Obviously, it does incur some cost, but those costs are tax deductible in that income year for that corporation anyways. Yeah, all costs associated with setting up the IPP and managing it are a tax deduction for the corporation. Right, so I think what's important here at the end of this whole little segment here is to say that the amount eligible is on average much higher than what is allowed by the cap of the RRSP. And so one, can save much more money into an IPP than one could in an RRSP, which is the main advantage. So we've talked a little bit about this. We've mentioned a few people. Uh, we've mentioned lawyers and accountants and actuarial professionals. So who else can can we engage or do we need to engage to set this up? Well, you, you'd obviously want to uh, be working. It, it's ideal to work with a financial advisor. Uh, eventually, what the savings uh, and the savings vehicles that you're going to be using inside your IPRP are going to need uh, to be managed. So depending on what type of uh, investments you're using inside the IPP, and, specific, and, and basically, it's anything that you uh, can use inside of an RSP or TFSA is eligible to be invested into uh, with your IPP. 
so you are going to want an investment manager. You're going to want that person can be your overall financial advisor, but uh, certainly you're going to want to have uh, actuarial companies or individuals that are able to do your annual calculations and make sure that you're uh, meeting your uh, targeted um, contribution amounts and your targeted investment return uh, amount, which is again is seven half percent. And that if you are meeting that, uh, then that the calculations are done properly. If you're not meeting it, then you uh, understand how much uh, that you uh, need to top up in, uh, in any one year to, to meet that minimum uh, target return. Uh, so these, these are the, uh, and, and then in the past and maybe so still, you might be working with an insurance company that will actually uh, provide some of those services for you. Of course, those services don't come free of charge uh, so that if you do go through uh, a third party like that, there may be buried expenses in their, um, in their costs that you're not able to extract. So the, uh, the leaner and more specific you can keep your financial advisors, the better. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, but I do want to um, address something because it takes a team to help you set this up. Now, obviously, the team will do most of the work and heavy lifting for you uh, because that's why you have a team and you're going to be incurring some cost to do that. But as you mentioned way, way early in this podcast, this is not a DIY thing. This is not do it yourself thing. And no. so please don't, don't, uh, I want the listeners out there to not get the wrong message that one can start an IPP and do it on your own because you will screw up everything and you will be on the wrong side of the tax law. It also means that, you know, for individuals who like the couch potato strategy or who likes the DIY strategy, this is not going to be for you. Uh, and so I want to make sure that all the listeners out there who subscribes to the DIY uh, philosophy, you will have to think about this as a additional cost if you want to do this, but the tax benefit and the flexibility of implementing a strategy like that goes way beyond just saving a few dollars here and there. And so as much as I like to minimize my fees and uh, use and maximize my compound, uh, power, uh, there are some things within this strategy that is much more powerful than trying to minimize fees only. And so this strategy for certain individuals will uh, add value. And what is important is really the, the word value and not just fees. Yeah, I, I would say that. I mean, to go to the DIY thing again, an analogy maybe, uh, maybe this is a good one, maybe it's not. If you, you may decide you want to build a house and you may have some interest in, you know, maybe a small percentage of people might say, I'd like to build my own house. <laughs> uh, so that, that be, might be something that, you know, depending on our skill set, you may or may want to do. But at the end of the day, even if you do end up building your own house and building it as well as you can with all the things you can learn on YouTube, What's the potential of that house to still be standing in 20 or 30 years? Think about the IPP in the same manner. I think if that's a good analogy. And is it really worth your time? 
right? No, no, it's not worth my time. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a funny story from Home Depot. And so, you know, Home Depot is for all those people who like to do the DIY, right? Build your own deck, build your own house, renovate your own kitchen. And the private contractors love Home Depot. Do you know why, Terry? Why is that? Because they have to come and fix up all the screw ups. <laughs> so a lot of people think that they can do something just watching YouTube and do their own thing. And then a year later, everything collapsed and the uh, the private contractors have to come in and fix it. And so they love they they, they love Home Depot. Now, the same way for make for a car, like, you know, first of all, I don't even know what what the motor and the radiator and all that is. I'm a doctor. I don't know how to fix cars. So if I want to start doing something that is as sophisticated as that on my own and try to fix my car, I don't even know if it's safe or I don't even know if it's drivable or not. I may get myself killed on the road, correct? That's and right. So trying to do this with your own finance when you know nothing about it and thinking that the couch potato is the only way to go and think this is simple, then sure, it may be simple now, but 30 years from now, you may realize, oh my God, what a screw up. And there's no more time to fix it at that point. So please try not to fix your own finances. Fair enough. Because at the end of the day, you and I are doctors. We're not finance people. So we know, we need to know, but we're definitely not the one to implement. Okay, well, thank you very much for listening this far. We're going to stop this discussion here because there will be a part two for this particular topic of IPP. So I'm going to be looking forward to chatting with you in part two of this topic, IPP, Individual Pension Plan. How is my financial health, Doc? podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.